Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure, uh, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So uh, you may have seen uh, one of these cards here. Uh, this is going to be helpful for the next several weeks. Um, we are about to embark, uh, today is the first day, on uh, several weeks, I don't even know how many, um, probably till Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking through this idea of what does it mean to be a people of God, and how does that look specifically uh, at, at Parkview, but I will be preaching when I do, here straight to you. What does this mean for us at Parkview North? Um, so this is kind of the direction of where we're going uh, as a church, as a whole, um, and I uh, wanted to clarify it. Uh, some of these words, uh, a lot of minds and a lot of time have gone into crafting this over the last uh, school year. Um, I came on board at the end of it, so I've only gleaned parts of it, but, uh, but I think it's a solid plan here. So I want to I kind of give you just the, uh, the chart, the course here, and, and walk you through how to use this thing. You start at the top, and you move to the bottom, left to right. It's basic reading, so that's, that's, that's the easy part. Um, so our mission is pursuing Jesus together uh, in everyday life. This is kind of the direction we're going. Uh, This is what we want to be thinking of. How are we pursuing Jesus in everyday life? Not just Sunday morning, but everyday life. Uh, To this end, we uh, seek to be a church where Jesus transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. So how does that happen? Those are kind of up in the clouds. How does that happen? Coming a little bit closer down to what that means for us. is uh, Our plan is that we gather, we grow, and we go. It just randomly ended up with three G's there, I guess. Uh, gather to worship, grow in Christ's likeness, and go on mission. So over the next three weeks, what we'll do, I'll stop there. You guys can read the rest. That's just a lot of data download right now. Um, gather, grow, go. Those are going to be the next three weeks that we, we talk about. I'll be speaking on gather today through Hebrews 10. Uh, Pastor Doug will come up and talk about growing in Christ's likeness, and then I'll finish us up here uh, in two weeks on go. At that point, then we'll launch into the next, the traits, and we'll spend most of our fall walking through what does it mean to be a disciple and how does that look as biblically, uh, as biblically uh, directed. So gather is the topic today. Uh, and I really want to look, uh, I'll hold pretty tightly to uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about what gathering is. I'm in conversation with what gathering is. And I feel like there are some just basic questions that we could ask that just really make it pretty simple for us to understand. I think, uh, I think this idea of gathering is something we do normally. Um, but I want to ask the question today, just what does it mean for us to gather? Why are we gathering here? We gather in so many different places. Uh, we gather to do different things. We go to work. You know, we gather there, I guess. Um, we gather for, uh, for concerts. Um, we gather uh, at the, the dirty, nasty Coral Ridge Mall play place. Um, sorry, now you know what I think about it. Uh, 
Uh, the, uh, we, gather, uh, we gather at the pool. We gather uh, at Kinnick. We gather at uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena. We gather at Hancher. We do things together. We celebrate what it means to be human and, and the beautiful parts of it. And we gather around there to, to, to do something. Uh, even even in, in suburbia as we are, where we have tons of strip malls, where you just park and you walk straight into what you need and you leave and there's no interaction with humans, we realize that this is a problem, so we create things like tin roost. They're not paying me, but they should. Uh, Tin Roost, my goodness, they make this huge patio and it's an instant hit. Why? Because we can gather and be known there. It answers one of our big questions. Our big question of, 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 of what are we doing here? What is the purpose for all of what we're doing and, and, and what is my role in it? So I just want to ask those basic questions of our text today. Now, I didn't go to this text asking these questions. I've read this and said, wait a second, Christ means something for our purpose. Christ means something for our identity Maybe Christ is answering the questions and why every time we create social gatherings, we're trying to answer these, but we can never actually satisfy these. Now, what I love about this season of preaching is that we have like, really, we have three different groups of people right now. And hopefully by Thanksgiving, we really feel that we are one. So we have this one third of us who have been in this building for years and they're Heartland folk. Uh, and they've, they've known what this is. Now, when we go into this thing, like the document like this, this logo, just onboarding for Heartland people, this little leafy wheel thing here, that's our logo now. So now you all know that that's, that's, that's it. Um, but then you have this other third of the, uh, the Parkview people coming up from, from Central Campus that you are part of Parkview. You still have the pastoral staff. Some of your roles are still the same, but now you're meeting here and I'm talking at you a lot. And there are other people, and the coffee's different, and something's strange, you know? And so we get this big mixing up of who are we, and then you get this one-third of people that we didn't really expect, and we love you, is people who have absolutely no idea what I've just been talking about. They're just new people. And that's something to me. I, I was sharing that with the pastors. Like, this is beautiful because we no longer have the opportunity in the next few months to say, well, that's their way, that's our way. Because we've got this third group of people, and now we all just are forced by the beauty of what community and gathering is, is to think, what are we going to be? Who are we? It's going to move us so much faster. So, um, so if you're just checking us out now, you have to stay, because otherwise the whole thing falls apart. So you can never leave. <laughs> Write your name down if you want to throw Social Security on there, too. You can, you can do that. We'll just make sure you never leave. Um, no, uh, man, I'm just rocking right now. Um, let's get to the text because it's actually more helpful than me framing it up. This answer, this question that we ask, what do we do when we gather? Why are we gathering and why is everywhere else not so satisfying? What is the best way to gather? What is the best reason? Why should we gather on Sunday morning instead of doing something else? And if we do gather for a good reason, what do we do when we gather? So um, our text today is going to give us this. This is my boiled down one sentence of those answers. We are gathered together because of Christ to remember Christ and to consider how to stir up Christ in each other's lives. We are gathered because of Christ uh, to remember Christ and to consider how to stir one another up, uh, stir up Christ in one another's lives. So two points. We gather because of Christ to remember Christ. So verse 19, 
It starts with, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Before we can understand what this means to have this confidence, uh, because it says we need to have that, and we need to have that, we need to understand what it is that we're entering. Uh, Because whether we're entering something that we're used to, we're entering into something that is terrifyingly new, we are entering into whatever, it's going to change the level of confidence we have. But the text here is telling us, therefore, we can enter with confidence into the holy places. So at this point, we we, we need to ask the question, what is the holy place? What are are we talking about here? Now, I'm going to just very, very briefly, because it's very important, uh, kind of give us a little bit of the background information that one of the Hebrews reading this would have understood that we may not understand. This is a letter to the Hebrews. The Hebrews have an idea of corporate gathering, of worshipful gatherings. And it looked more like this on the screen. So this is a temple. This is where they're gathering. This is what's going on. And this is actually the imagery that, that, uh, that the author of Hebrews is developing and speaking into. Now, the big point in Hebrews that we get is Jesus fulfills all of these things. In various ways, Jesus is fulfilling all of our worship and everything that's there. And so the point that we get here today is, so so we don't have to fulfill those things. We can do something else. So here's a basic idea of what happens, um, because you're going to need to know this as we read this text. So we have over here, uh, right there, is a basic basin for washing. It's for cleansing. It's, it, the priests would wash before they would go in, right here through the door. Uh, all the way back over here, this area is called the Holy of Holies. Uh, it's where the priest would go, and this is the holy place. I think all of this is considered a holy place, uh, but that is the Holy of Holies. That is the most holy place. Um, there's also, uh, important to our text today, this idea of, of sacrifice. So this is an altar of sacrifice. Sacrifices are, are, um, are killed here. They're burned here, but they're also slaughtered there, and there's blood. And depending on what kind of sacrifice this is, some of the blood gets sprinkled. You need that for the text today. And that makes them clean. So whether you're washing to clean or you're being sprinkled with blood to be clean, you need to be clean before you can enter the presence of the Holy God. That is very much in the mindset of the Hebrews as they're reading this text, as they're hearing these words, as, as the author of Hebrews is explaining Christ is fulfilling this. We don't have to clean ourselves. We don't have to dress up and be all nice and tidy and neat. We don't have to do anything in, in the amount of good works in order to be in front of God. It takes faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice, and that's it. So Christ fulfills all of this. So now we have what we need to understand a little bit more of of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. This blood of Jesus is talked about uh, just the the chapter before. You know that we're following up an argument because, or, or, or an explanation because the very first word of verse 19 is therefore. All of this stuff happens leading up to, therefore, now here's what we do. So what happens before the therefore? Before the therefore, we get, we get um, Hebrews 9, 24 through 27. I'll read it here, thinking of, actually, I'll go back to the slide there, thinking of this temple imagery and Christ fulfilling it. And in Hebrews 9, we understand that, that we gather because of Christ. It's our, our whole worship together is built on Christ it reads this, Hebrews 9, 24 through 27. For Christ has entered not into a holy place made with hands, which are copies of true things, speaking of the temple, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ is the priest that sacrifices. Christ is the sacrifice that pays for the debt of sin. And Christ, this is the crazy one, comes and says, I am that temple. He is the holy place. Christ is foundationally everything for our gathering. And that's magnificent. Why do we gather? Well, we gather because of Christ. That's the main point that we're hearing here. So, we'll get out of verse 19 soon enough. Back to today's passage. Hebrews 10, 19. It begins with, therefore. He says, uh, he says all of these things. Therefore. We go and live like this. Recapping the previous truths that he's expounded on, we can read ahead. We can read the two words that say since. Since we enter by the blood of Jesus. Verse 21 then says, since we have a great high priest, which is to say, because Christ has sacrificially died for the wages of your sin, and because Christ offered himself as that sacrifice, pulling in more of the language around this, verse 17, God will remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So, I understand what I just did was dump 200 level theology of sin and sacrifice on you. We're going to boil it down to 100 level theology. What does it mean for us today? What does that mean for our gathering? Why are we talking about sacrifice and Jesus being the sacrifice, the priest, and the holy place? Because I think that gives us great news for today. It gives us a purpose by lifting things that we might otherwise think are our responsibility. And so often we do that in churches. We try and doctor it up and make us the point. We try and make us the really streamlined, clear, wonderfully packaged, well-produced ministry or program or worship experience. We try and do that because we think that's where the purpose will come from. Now, that can be done. But if it's done without Christ, then I think, according to Hebrews, we've got nothing. What are we doing? We're just like a priest going and offering sacrifices day after day after day, but they'll never atone for sins. We need Christ at the center of everything we do. So I'll just go through these things. Because Christ died for your sins as the sacrifice, uh, the beautiful thing for us is that our gathering together is not a requirement for salvation. Neither are uh, reading your Bible or getting something out of a sermon or, or, uh, or meeting in your life group or your community group. Those things aren't requirements for, uh, for salvation. Now, that's on the other side. They are wonderful things that God tells us to do as part of our Christian living, our sanctification. But those things in and of themselves will not save us. Your church attendance Uh, how much you get out of the service, how much you talk to people, the good works you bring to the community, uh, it doesn't actually do anything to save you. You're still a sinner who is doing good works. That's all it is. But if, if you have Christ there, if you see the faith in Christ is what, is, is what is that salvation, it frees you to live rightly. It, it clears up what you can do so that you can fully live in that Christian living. 
I hope that makes sense. Don't mistake a Christian life for becoming a Christian. Don't mistake Christian living for the beginning of Christian life. Our life in Christ begins with his death, with us repenting of our sin and accepting his free gift. That, that's where Christian life begins. And the rest is Christian living. And that's what we do in our gathering, is to live as Christ directed us. Christ, Christ offered himself. So in, this, in, in what we read in Hebrews, Christ offered himself as the priest. That's really important because I think if we take a really flat historical view that we hear oftentimes, it sounds more like, we could be mistaken, that, that Christ is an unfortunate prophet of the first century who got killed. And the Christians said, that, was, that guy was great. Let's make him bigger than he needs to be. That's one way we could go if, if, we, if we aren't careful to read this text rightly. This historical text would have been proven and true against all kinds of literary criticism and archaeological evidence. It says Christ crucified himself. He gave himself up. That's different. Because if Christ just died, then we're worshiping some crazy guy who got killed. But if Christ put himself forward as that sacrifice for sin, it shows us that we have a sovereignly powerful God who is orchestrating history. And he is doing that within the boundaries of his abundant steadfast love that he might draw us near to him by washing us clean. That is different. That is different. Christ is the sacrifice for our sin and the priest giving that. He is calling the shot of that sacrifice. And because Christ alone makes it possible for us to enter his holy places, we don't need to build fancy church expressions or programs or publicity to, com to compete with consumerist mentality. Going back to our problem, where do I belong? How do I have purpose in life? We can't create a social gathering like church on our own, with our own means, and have it be lasting and meaningful if we don't have it rooted in Christ the cornerstone. I say all of that because Hebrews is swinging here. It's going to turn the corner, and we're about to do that right now, where we say, now what does that mean for Parkview North? What does that mean for us? So what do we do? See, if Christ is so important in all of this, if Christ is the one uh, uh, who is the reason that we, we come together, if Christ is the one who makes this possible, if Christ is the one who is to be glorified and seen, and all of these things are great, that, like, what am I doing here? Like, it's all Christ. I just show up, and that's it? No, he calls us to so much more. Three times in this text, it says, let us. So because Christ is doing that, you don't have to do that. Your church and your confidence, uh, I guess, let me say that again. Your confidence is not in your church. Your confidence is in Christ. And I think it does us well to always be assessing, is my church in line with Christ. And that's something we always do. You don't just sign the card for membership and say, all right, I won't think about this anymore. You need to think about it even more because you have a role in the body. Our confidence in this life is because of Christ, not because of our church, not because of the people that sit next to us in the pew, not because of anything else like that. It's in Christ. And so because of that, we design our sermons, we design our songs, we design our services, we design our community groups to that end, that end being Christ. So what do we do? If Christ is doing all of this, what do we do? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
we can draw with a true heart and an assurance of faith because we're not making it. We are setting that on Christ to do. We can come to the table rightly because this or that song is not what saves us. It's Christ. This or that kind of sermon or way of preaching doesn't save us. It's Christ. Draw near with a true heart of full insurance. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This truth shapes our hope. I love that it's not confession of faith. Hold fast to our confession of faith. That's implied, but it's confession of our hope. Because what is our confession? The confession they're speaking of here is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God saves sinners. That's the good news. That's, that's the confession. And that confession gives us hope, as the author of Hebrews is telling us. Because like no other gathering, the church and our gathering is built on Christ, the only true and lasting cornerstone. And so we can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. It means that if we take this seriously, we do nothing unless it advances the name of Christ. And that's really hard to do right now. That's really hard to do this day and age because there are so many flashy churches. There are so many flashy marketing things, so many flashy things that are uh, in our ear every day that it's hard for us to only do the things that advance the name of Christ. I think it's really helpful um, that there is a prayer uh, that is credited to to St. Patrick uh, where he speaks of, of how he views Christ, how he views his day as he goes forward with this in mind, with, 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 with Christ in mind, I will only take steps towards that which advances the name of Christ. Uh, in his prayer, he says something like this. He kind of ends it. He says a bunch of things. He ends it very boldly with this. You may have heard of it. Prayer of St. Patrick. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I rise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Uh, Parkview North, I hope this is what shapes us and our gatherings. Christ. Christ in every part of our gathering. When we sit down and spend meal and have meals together, that Christ be glorified in that. When we share of each other, when we go and watch our kids in the nursery, we teach our children uh, our, uh, uh, the different stories and the songs and the, and the creeds that we need, that Christ be there. When we sing songs, that Christ be there, that that be the center of what it is, not our stinking cool campus, but that it's Christ. And that's what needs to be advanced first. And there's great unifying power in that. We'll get to it. So we gather because of Christ and to remember Christ. But if Christ is the cornerstone, what do we do? I asked this already, and then I kind of went back to Christ because, well, why not? And, uh, but now I really want to hit it hard. Point two is to answer the question, what do we do? We gather to stir up one another towards Christ. So this is going to get very practical here. I've got the rest of the, the chapter or the rest of the passage on the screen. And we'll go quickly. Let's read it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, because Christ is the point and pattern of our worship, on the point and pattern of our gathering, then this is one of the many things that we can do. This is the one that this text clearly points us to. There are actually three parts to it, and I've luckily labeled those in color. Let us consider how to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. There's something amazing that happens when we meet together. There's something amazing that happens when we gather. There are two parts of this. So this is one magnificently beautiful, informative, run-on sentence. Here is part of this, breaking it apart. The center of this, the heart of this sentence, is the idea of not neglecting to meet together. I'll say that positively. It's gathering together. Gather together so that you can Consider how to stir one another up in love. These two feed each other. You can't possibly consider how to stir up one another unless you're gathering together, right? You can't just sit there and think of these imaginary people that are going to be part of my church, and I'm going to stir them up to good works and love. You have to be here. You have to be talking to each other. You have to know each other's names and stories. How might I stir this person up is going to be very different than how I might stir that person up. How do I know it's different? Because I know them, and I know their situation, and I know how God can speak to them, and I know how I can stir up Christ and his expression in their lives. We had a line of people here. How did I rattle off all of those different kinds of things? Because I meet with you guys. I don't neglect doing that. I'm here. I don't come here on Sunday morning because I'm the preacher or because I'm paid to. I come here because we're the body of Christ and we know each other. We meet each other and in our meeting each other, we consider how to stir up one another. Now, I want to go the other way around here because neglecting to meet together or gathering together is the heart of this. It also shapes the other part of this passage. It says, but encouraging one another. So that suggests, as these two speak to each other and shape each other, that our meeting together, our gathering together, is actually encouraging. Well, that's nice. Uh, that's, that's, that's a fun one. I like that. How is it, uh, how is it in- encouraging, though? Well, we can't be encouraging unless we're meeting together. We can't be encouraging, I, I think, a life group. Uh, the life group this last year uh, uh, was one of the most encouraging gatherings I've, I've had. Uh, in a long while. And it wasn't so much like the things that we did. Sometimes I didn't even think that maybe there was a form to whatever we did. But there was this thing that we got together and the presence of each other together and our kids like flipping out on each other and, and loving each other through all of it and, and the mess of, of the meals and the times and all that kind of stuff. Like Sometimes we just weren't that productive if you want to go like teacher mode on it. But We'd go away from it. My wife and I would say, like, that was so formative. Like, that was so good. That was so encouraging. Just the presence of other people who believe the same thing. And we could just see, like, oh, we're normal people who love each other. That's actually huge. That's what we're looking for when we create all these other gatherings around, right? We just want to find people that look like us. We go to a sporting event so we can just identify really fast. You're wearing the same colors. We're the same. Uh, you go to different, you go and sit and enjoy something so that you can, you, you can, you can look up on the stage of Hanser and you can look around and be like, hey, you guys all enjoy the fine arts. This is great. We're the same. And, and we go to, we go to Tin Roos so we could say, hey, we'd like to sit here and talk. And we're all the same for that. 
there is something encouraging just about being together. I'll go one step further here. Uh, We are all diverse. All of us are different kinds of people doing different kinds of things. And I'm just going to go with scheduling. Why do we gather on Sunday morning? We gather on Sunday morning as an act of unity. We have crazy schedules. We're super busy. We're doing all kinds of different things. We have very diverse tasks uh, that, that will be there for us tomorrow morning. But we, we, we are disciplined to act out, not like play acting, but like rehearsing, doing something where we get ourselves here together in this room together. We gather to show no matter what happens in my diverse life as a person next to me, I am unified to be together physically with these people because Christ unifies us. You just look around and you can say, oh, I have unity and faith in Christ right here. Now, okay, lunch hits, diverse. It's going to be that way for another six days. And then we remind ourselves, oh yeah, we're unified. So even when my neighbor goes and runs around, my neighbor's sitting here. And I can say, we're not in the same workplace, but we're unified. That's a beautiful thing. I want to develop the idea of encouraging and then get to some very practical applications. Encouragement is not something Midwesterns under, uh, Midwesterners understand the full complexity of. I'm not saying that I even understand this. I'm just going to move us just a tick further, maybe towards understanding it. Encouragement is not simply a pat on the back saying, nice job, buddy. Um, I would define it differently. Encouragement is truthfully, lovingly, urging or affirming alignment to God's way. Lots of big words, but it's a definition. You can do that. Truthfully and lovingly urging or affirming alignment to God's way. I say it that way because it can be one of two things. We do this one really well, the positive one, the uh, uh, nice job. You, you, are, you are killing it in uh, assimilation, hospitality. You're doing a great job teaching the kids. You're doing wonderful things, and that is in alignment with God's. We love celebrating the good, right? But sometimes we think that rebuke is this horrible thing, or we think this negative encouragement, if that's what it is, is a bad thing. Well, sometimes we can encourage our brothers and sisters to realign to God's way. That's something that we should be doing as well, not just saying, oh, I spotted the good and that's it. We also do well to tell someone you're doing the wrong thing. So it is truthful for me to say you are a great Sunday school teacher who is teaching the words of God, and that is a gifting of yours. That is truthful and loving. It is also truthful me of saying, brother, I love you. You are struggling with lust and this is going the wrong way. This is not in line with God's will. That is also truthful and loving. Now, if I say, away, you're disgusting. Now, that's not loving. I want to be here with you and help you align. That's the encouragement. We do that. And what do we align to? Christ. So I'm going to run through some implications. This is huge for us. So that's just my rundown of the text. Here is a quick rundown of of some implication it has for us here at Parkview North Campus. So uh, the idea that gatherings are formative, Uh, they shape us. When we are here, there is something happening to us as we are here. There is something happening to us when we speak to each other as we are gathered together. I validate that I want to be here with you. And one of the big things, I think, in this season, there are many things I could speak about to this, but the one that I probably think is most pressing is this idea that I'll put up here. Small is not equal to intimate. You can flip this the other way to say big is not equal to impersonal. Um, I think this is a big deal for us. If you're from Heartland, you're used to small and intimate 
If you are from, uh, if you are from Parkview, you're used to big and impersonal. Those, those, aren't, those aren't the same. Like, those aren't the same thing. They're not, that's not how that works. Small can be incredibly impersonal. It's just sometimes we've been used to this here on this location that, that in our smallness, we can feign uh, an impersonal coldness because we're so small and we've got the gauntlet right there that you just got to bump into people and talk to them, right? I had a couple conversations. I didn't go anywhere with those conversations. I must be hospitable. Now, I'm not saying that we do this horribly here. And we've, we've done this horribly. There's been a beautiful expression of this uh, in, in, in the past years of this. So I don't want to say that you're doing it wrong. I just want to make sure that we don't think that if we grow, we will no longer be intimate. We will no longer be known. Also, if you come from big, you may be saying, we just couldn't meet anybody there. Okay, uh, I went to a big church. Uh, I grew up in a big church. And uh, that has nothing to do with that. You and your heart and your hospitality and your initiative to go and be intentional with people and be hospitable with people, that's the big thing. As we grow as a church, whether this is the maximum of our growth, whether the, the, the roof blows off of this campus, I have absolutely no idea because I don't build the church. God does. But what I do know is he tells us be hospitable every day. Small is not intimate. If we grow so big, it doesn't mean that we won't be intimate anymore. I mean, it could if we're lazy about it. If we outsource hospitality to a group of people and it's their job, that, that's weird. Uh, why don't we just do that every single person? Every new person we get here also does hospitality. And now, one, we have a whole team of everyone doing hospitality. And two, we're doing hospitality as the Bible explains hospitality. I feel like that's a better way forward. So what does that mean? This is really lofty. Now I'm really going to drop it down. Looking for encouragement. This is from our text. We need to look for encouragement. It's not simply the gathering that is encouraging, but what we do when we gather. So uh, let's go with it this way. Um, think of the time before and after service. There's 20 minutes before, 20 minutes after, let's say. I mean, you could stay forever, but you're the one shutting, shutting the doors uh, if you stay longer than 20 minutes. No, I'm joking. Uh, uh, 20 minutes before and after our 75-minute corporate worship. Think of that not as the time to only like get your coffee and find your seat and the time to find your kids and get to the car, but think of that as an opportunity for encouragement. It's a time where we get to know people and show them our love and, and help them feel our love, but also we can do some detective work and, and we can hear how they need to be encouraged. whether that's through affirmation or that's for, through rebuke. One of the ways we can do is you put on your detective glasses and, 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 you, uh, and you look for prayers. How do I pray for Christ in their life? That's a great question. Anyone you talk to after the service is done, how do I pray for this person? How do I pray for Christ in their life? So that directs different questions. How's the weather? How's the sports? How's this and that? What are you doing this afternoon? Those are great questions. Those are nice questions but you're not going to get the answer of Christ in their life for that. It's okay. We're in a spot where we've acknowledged Christ is going to be big. We all just like saying some pretty big words straightforward to the screen. When we leave, it's okay to say to someone, hi, I'm, this is my name, and where's Christ in your life right now? What do you, where do you need me to pray? Like, that's an okay thing. I want that to be more okay to just ask people that. It's okay to say, well, what do you need prayer for this week? How can I pray for you? always holding fast to the confession of our hope and drawing near together through Christ. 
So our community groups do this. We're rallying together. We're moving from three community groups last year to something like 11 community groups this year. We've got a whole group of people that are, are, are focusing in on, 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 on coming together, drawing near to Christ and speaking into each other. If you're not a part of that, please sign up. We're forming these. We're finally in a spot where we can send people out to the groups that they need to be in and get meeting together. Um, so when, those, when that communication comes out here in the next week, week or two, Jump on it, sign up, and be a part of those things. Gather regularly. Do not neglect meeting together for the cause of Christ. So why do we gather? We gather together because of Christ, to remember Christ, and to consider how to stir up Christ in each other's lives. In a transient community connected uh, to, a, to, a, uh, to a relationally distant but globalized society, we so dearly need meaningful relationships built on truth and love. And there's no greater community poised for this kind of transformation. This is the gift God has given to the world through the church. This kind of community doesn't exist outside of one where Christ is the cornerstone. So as we gather together, this is what it means at Parkview, uh, gathering for the cause of Christ. Let's pray.